Randy, have you been naughty or nice this year? I declined to answer on the grounds that I might incriminate myself, Billy. Why? Are you deciding whether to get me a present? Well, you've kind of incriminated yourself with that response, (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) I've already got you a present wrapped in a bow. Uh, What are you hoping for this year? You know, ever since we chatted with Melissa Pickering last year, I've really wanted to get some of the stuff that she's responsible for. Ah, yeah. She looks after the team that does all the best Lego kits, the ones that you can control by an app. Coolest job ever. Hey, I've got an idea. As it's just about that time of year anyway, should we listen back to that chat about designing for play? Great idea. That's your present sorted then. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hey everyone, it's the Product Experience. I'm Randy Silver. Hey Lily, question for you. When's the last time you had fun at work? And before you answer it, a related question, does your boss listen to this podcast? Oh, well, I'm Lily Smith. And why do you ask, Randy? Ooh, that's a nice way to avoid the question. Well, our guest this week has had two of the coolest jobs imaginable. My son was so jealous that we're talking to her. Oh, yeah, that's right. We get to speak with Melissa Pickering today. We saw her at Turing Festival, where she talked about her role as head of interactive play at Lego. We'll never have titles as cool as that, but it's something to aspire to. So let's bring her on. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we improve our practice. Aside from conferences in London, San Francisco, Singapore, Hamburg, and Manchester, there's also free product tanks in more than 185 cities, and there's probably one near you. Find out about them on mindtheproduct.com, where you can also catch up on past episodes, videos from the conferences, read great articles, and learn about the training that we do. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. It's really, really lovely to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be on. So it would be really great to give us a really quick intro into your background and how you ended up working at Lego. Yes, no problem. So I have about 15 years experience in product. I started out as an engineer. I worked at Disney for Imagineering, designing roller coasters. Uh, From there, I became more interested in how to get kids involved in engineering. So I started my own company around bringing um, STEM education into classrooms called I Create to Educate. I sold that and then had an opportunity to come build up a team in Lego that, that bridges digital and physical play. And so I've been at Lego for five years now. Awesome. And just before we go into the Lego story, 
I just want to rewind there because you design roller coasters. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So I started out, uh, yeah, as the roller coaster engineer in Disney's own word of Imagineer, which combines imagination and engineering. And uh, we are, at the time, we were a group of around 1,400 uh, designers, artists, architects, designing everything that goes into a Disney theme park around the world. Was that like a childhood dream? Did you just go, oh my God, a roller coaster. I want to make those when I'm older. Uh, no, uh, the funny thing, it, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't until I was actually studying engineering that and involved in the Society of Women in Engineering that I discovered you could actually design roller coasters. It uh, never really occurred to me, but um, many of my colleagues actually had their childhood dreams. And so, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a good, it was a good job. <laughs> I told my son that we were going to be talking to you and uh, I was watching a video, the video of your talk at Turing Festival and he was uh, in the background. He said, oh, I know she must have designed the roller coasters using Lego. Uh, yes. Yeah, actually, um, a, a few of my colleagues at the time did use it as a prototyping tool for some of the mechanisms and it, and it worked quite well just in terms of communicating the, the experience that uh, we wanted the customers to have. So, um, <laughs> yeah, in, in a way, so he's right. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about Lego and how you approach innovation there. Like innovation at Lego is one of the companies that you kind of think of in terms of innovators and how they've kept their brand and their products alive throughout the years. So tell us a bit about how that's been possible. So it's been a great experience in terms of how we can approach innovation, but still staying true to the foundation of the core physical brick. Um, the process, we are very uh, focused on kid testing and the, the foundational research on understanding how kids and families are playing and, and how their days uh, lay out. And that's those insights are where we base all of our uh, opportunities to explore, and then and then we continue to iterate the experiences that were that we're designing based on the kid testing and feedback from kids and, and parents themselves. So I think that's also um, helped quite a bit in terms of staying true to the foundation of Lego, which is all about playing, just because it stayed so close to um, to, to really understanding what kids enjoy and, and what they don't enjoy. So you have challenges there in that doing research on kids or with kids is different than doing it for anyone else. How do you approach that? How do you get over that barrier? Uh, yes, that's a that's a good question. So we do a couple of tiers of, of research, I guess, ranging in, in different levels of fidelity. So the most intense and, and highest fidelity of research is what we would call foundational research. And we we do follow families in, in different parts of the world and in their homes and really kind of, you know, through interviews and, and ongoing studies with them, we understand how um, how they go about their days. In terms of product testing, we tend to, these are what we call validation tests. So we do the classic one-way mirror um, tests and with, with segments of kids around the world. And this is, you know, professionally facilitated and, of course, Many times kids are very excited because they're, they're testing a new Lego experience, but oftentimes you'd be surprised how honest they are and if something just isn't fun. Um, mm. and so, and then the lowest I could level of fidelity tests we do, what we call do it yourself tests. So this is where designers themselves are in a, you know, ad hoc way interacting with kids that we bring into the office just to get kind of 
gut reactions and we don't really take any hard conclusions on product from, from that, but it just helps us steer in, in different directions. And this is where we can, we can see kids may be a little overly excited all of the time. So we don't definitely don't do overarching product conclusions from those tests, but it, it is nice to have the ability to do that. I think that's one of the great things about kids is they will just, well, generally tell you the truth when it comes to how much they enjoy something. Yes, for sure. And and sometimes what we've what we've done too is in, instead of asking kids to tell the facilitator who's off who's always an adult, we will test in pairs and then ask kids to to explain to their friends what they just tested. So we will you know, have a, uh, another kid outside the room and then bring them in once if the first kid has experienced the product. And then in their words, we can see kind of how they explain that experience back to their friend. And that's always very telling, um, because, mm. because then they, they're not trying to impress an adult, um, and they are just very, even more honest with, with their friend. That's really interesting. Um, and, Similar to a podcast that we did earlier in the year, actually, with Mona Patel on from Motivate Design. And she was talking about with user experience, they do their research by getting friends to interview other friends because you just get a, a very different dynamic and a, and a kind of more honest opinion. So really interesting that you do it that way. So you've got, Melissa, you've got a real challenge in that you're designing both uh, physical toys, but also interactive apps that have the goal of helping people to learn and challenging them. Um, how do you set the right goals and metrics around that? Um, you don't want to emphasize one over the other, or how do you, how do you balance that and measure what people are doing? Yeah, that is a that is a good question because if you think about it in terms of digital experiences, usually a key metric is session length, where you want to maximize the length of time that somebody is engaging in the in the game or software. Where when we have a digital experience, an app that's connected uh, via Bluetooth to a a physical Lego hardware set, we want to make sure that the kid is engaging in what we call play loop. So that means, you know, engaging in, in some way with the app, but then putting the app down and then interacting with the physical brick. Um, one, and, and so we actually want to oftentimes minimize the session length or see that a session length, it's short, but then there's frequent session links so we can see the play loop going. One example, we have a, a Duplo. So this is for younger kids, train. And the, the train goes around a track and on the track, the kids can put different colored bricks. And when the train goes over the different colors, a different action happens. So for example, when a train goes over a red brick, then the train would stop. When it goes over a yellow brick, it would blow a whistle. And, and then we have a digital app that, that has some light, engaging, funny uh, games that, that go along with each of those bricks. So we can actually see from the data how many times the train has run over the physical bricks and and in a session length. And so that gives us an indicator of how much the the kids are engaging in the physical train even while they're they're interacting with the app. And so we want that uh, number to be as high as possible in terms of the number of scanned bricks uh, that the duplo train has because then that indicates they truly are playing with the physical brick. And are you looking at this data across a set of test uh, subjects, if you like, or test sort of control groups, or is it across all of your consumers? 
Yeah. So once we have a product launch, like the one I just spoke to, which has been in the market for a year and a half now, it is, um, of course, we follow all of the, the GDPR guidelines and it is um, anonymous aggregated data across all of the users. So of course, it's not uh, personally identifiable, but it is grouped in terms of the overall behavior that we can see in the experience. That is really cool. But you've also got a challenge in that you've put this out into the world. Now you're learning something. Are you then able, and unlike most Lego sets mm. uh, where, you know, it's a physical thing, it's shipped, it's on the shelf, you've got a software component to it, an app component to it. Do you iterate once it's on the shelves and things are live? Or is there a restriction because you've done instructions and things like that that are included with the physical packaging? Yeah, that is good. It has been um, also a challenge for us where we've we've learned along the way with each of these product releases to allow ourselves a little bit more freedom in terms of how we can update the app based on, on what we learn. So we try to minimize the hard lock of screens and things that we put on the packaging and inside the packaging just to allow ourselves some leeway to change the digital product after it's been shipped. We weren't that that smart at the beginning. Um, another thing that, that we have done is actually brought some learnings in that maybe we can't change that single product that's on the shelf, but we can actually change the next product in development based on those learnings. So um, that's that's another thing that, that we've been able to do. And it, it still does give us some constraints though, because um, once a box is shipped, of course it's it's out in the, out in the world, and we do find that when we've talked with with parents when we're testing, that they do like and they appreciate the idea of an experience kind of giving more, so to speak, once they've purchased it. So how we can add more challenges and games through the app once they've already purchased um, a set. So that's a that's I think a value add that doesn't often come through upon an initial purchase of a physical product. Mm. And what's the team structure like when you're working across a a physical and a digital product? Are you all kind of like based in the same team or or do you have separate teams that come together often? Yeah, we have a it's a a cross-functional group from marketing and physical product design. So model designers working on building the models. My team comes in from a user experience design perspective, we have uh, developers, both hardware and, and software. And, and, and so we work in that matrix organization coming together all under one franchise. And so a franchise, for example, being Star Wars or City or Friends or Ninjago uh, to deliver the, the products in that franchise. And what's the, the cadence like in terms of the work? Because the kind of products that I'm familiar with working with, you know, typically you'd work in sprints that are like anything between a month and um, or like a week and a month long. How does that, do, do you kind of use Scrum or or do you have your own Lego methodology for, for delivering products? Yeah, we've, we've also been on a, a journey with this. We do have an overarching uh, development process called the Lego development process. And, and it's um, essentially an innovation gate a process where that occurs throughout the year where we have a funnel of opportunities and ideas going through different gates. In that process, we typically work in, in shorter sprints. Um, then once we all agree on what the portfolio for LEGO will look like in a couple of years time, then we work in a 
fairly, um, you know, waterfall approach to get that product to market. So the thing is for us, Christmas never really moves. So, um, we, (laughs) we, we do have, and, and in terms of our retailers, they do have certain times when they take in our products. So those do give us some, some hard gates, but in these more complex experiences, we've experimented with different ways of working on how other companies work, uh, just to allow ourselves a little bit of, um, of freedom in the development process. However, uh, we are, you know, making plastic and we do have certain restraints on the go to market side that does make it a little bit more rigid than, than other, um, tech companies experience. Fancy leveling up your product management skills in 2021? Always. Are you ready to take that next step in your product career? Of course. Maybe you've got end-of-year budget to play with? Well, you're in luck. Mind the Product has just released their training workshops for the first half of 2021. They're offering interactive remote workshops with no more than eight to a class. You can focus the work on your own product, collaborate with your group to tackle current challenges and walk away with frameworks and tools you can use right away. So start 2021 off right and join us at a two-day remote workshop. Choose from product management foundations, communication and alignment, metrics for product managers, or mapping to solve product problems. Find out more and book your place at mindtheproduct.com forward slash workshops. So Melissa, you also had a great story that you told about something that you learned from uh, producing a five-in-one set and how then you use that in a subsequent offering. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So we had a product that we released in, I guess it was 27, so two years ago, and it was called Boost, a build co-play uh, experience where kids can build one of five different robots and then code them to life. So for example, they can build and code a robotic cat to play the harmonica. And we uh, released this, this set as an opportunity to bring kids into uh, a coding experience through interacting with a robot. So having that more playful, fun approach to learning how to build and code. The intent of the experience was to, to after the, you know, a kid has, has built one model that and play with it for a while, they would then, you know, maybe after a, f- a few months time, they would then go back and build a new model and play with that. So for example, after building the cat, Maybe after a few months, they would tear it apart and, and go and build the guitar that you could build and, and code. What we found actually is that the kids, through the development process, we had um, to, to engage them in the really long process of building a robot. We had the, the them slowly bring the a robot cat to life. So it would ask it to build itself midway through the building process. And, and this was kind of an opportunity for kids to emotionally connect with the building process and intrinsically motivate them to finish um, building. And so then what we found was that the kids weren't, you know, most of the, the kids were not building more than one model. And, and the most common models they built were the two of the five that actually had eyes. So a robot named Vernie and a cat named Frankie. And then when we went in and, and did some surveys to understand and talk to the families, 
to understand why they were only building one? Was it because it was just so complex and, and took such a long time to rebuild or, um, or did they forget about it or what, what was the deal? And we found out that the kids had become so emotionally attached to these uh, little robots that they had brought to life. So uh, for example, robot Verney would you know, be riding in the back of the car, wearing a seatbelt, going to football practice, <laughs> um, tucked away in bed at night and, and really became part of the family. I mean, the robot cat became best friends with the family cat. And, and so these had the, these Lego uh, had become part of the family. And so kids had become so attached to them that rebuilding them was just unheard of because it was basically like <laughs> destroying a, a family member. And, and that was, um, yeah, a key, a key learning for us. And we found this data right in the middle of designing a build code play experience for the Star Wars universe, where we wanted to build three droids that kids could build and encode and take on different missions. And so what we did was we actually halted development and went through a couple of design sprints to see if we could give kids a way of building all three droids at once and not have to take any of them apart and then just swap the motor between the droid that they would be playing with. And we actually managed to do this, staying within the same budget that, that we, that we needed to. And, and this is what we ended up launching this year. Uh, called Star Wars Boost. And so kids can build and code RTD2 and take them on missions, or they can build and code a gonk droid and take them on more destructive missions. And then they can build and code a mouse droid to go on more sneaky missions. And so we are real time now getting in learnings from that product that's been on the market for a few months. And you've mentioned a few times about this concept of being intrinsically motivated what do you mean by that? And where did that concept come from? Um, yes. So that's one of the key principles of play, another being active engagement and another being joyful moments. And, and we find that it's so important when we have kids in an unstructured or free play scenario, it's because they are just inherently motivated to play themselves. They're not trying to accomplish some external reward or win a certain game. And so while, you know, structured play and games and, and sports do have a place in kids' development, we have uh, learnings and, and research that shows that unstructured play where kids are just, so for example, designing, you know, building up their own little worlds out of Lego or just playing in the backyard um, with whatever they can find and, and having that open, free playtime is so important in their development. An example of that would be um, something that's not intrinsically motivated. We, we see experiences like um, I can bring in Snapchat, for example, where we have the, a feature called Snap Streaks, where we, we see that kids become so uh, oriented to trying to keep a snap streak going that they sort of lose that inherent motive, you know, that intrinsic motivation of just connecting and, and snapping with a friend and, and sharing those, those pictures and videos with a friend to now keeping up with this arbitrary number of a snap streak. And, and that's become the motivator rather than, than just sharing little photos. So that would be a, yeah, an example of more extrinsic motivation um, that isn't so healthy. And, you know, I'm sure all of us on this podcast would probably say that 
play has changed a lot from when we were all kids and, you know, iPads and iPhones and um, digital didn't really exist in, in the world of play. How do you, do you have a kind of insight into how this is going to affect these young people as they grow older? Yeah, I don't uh, don't necessarily have you know scientific um, insider research, but we do see that there can be ways to design technology and, and integrate technology while still keeping to those core principles of of play. Um, so it's not necessarily that you know all screen time is bad. So for example, uh, there's a a digital platform called Scratch, which is developed from research from MIT, where kids can create projects and they can build on each other's projects. And 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 so that while that's a, a, a definitely a technology, it it does pull on some of these principles of of kids are intrinsically motivated just to create something together and, and they're not sort of just watching something, but they are actively engaged. And so we, we do see that if companies can embrace how to use technology while still adhering to these, these principles in play, then, then we do have a, a brighter future for our kids than, you know, doing some of the things that sometimes we ourselves as adults feel guilty of, of like binge watching Netflix or, or YouTube videos. So I think, um, while there, we don't have exact data, what will happen, we do see that, that we can take sort of a proactive approach already now to thoughtfully designing technology with some of these, uh, approaches based on, on research of what does engage kids in play. One of those uh, approaches that you've talked about in the past is uh, the ideas of hard fun and pride of creation. Can you talk a little bit about those, uh, both how they apply to kids? And I know I've done uh, Lego scrum activities with people in various offices. How do you bring these approaches into the workplace as well? Yes. So um, hard fun is the term we use that essentially relates to the fact that when we do something, even that's a challenge, we can, and if we get over that challenge, we can have that uh, nice feeling of, of accomplishment. A, a kid explained to me, it was like a, a nice um, warm feeling inside. And so, so it can be a positive, uh, evoke a positive emotion, even if it is a struggle. I mean, games use this all the time too. You know, kids and, and, and adults even like going up against big, you know, boss fights because then you, you feel like you've, you've, you've accomplished something. So that's when we say hard fun, it's like, it's, it's embrace the challenge and, and, and know that once you get on the other side, you'll have that warm, fuzzy uh, feeling inside. And oftentimes with Lego that it is a challenge to build, but it can be a, a huge reward at the end of, of the feeling that, okay, I took these this pile of bricks on the floor and I've created something that now I can play with or um, I can interact with. And that is where we, we get that pride of creation because um, it is, is this a very tangible thing that, that you have built with your, your hands. And there's something e extremely rewarding and satisfying about that in terms of bringing those emotions into the, into the office you know, we do, the model designers do build uh, all day. Um, we do, I guess those principles, we've, we always reference them in, in terms of, you know, not trying to um, sacrifice the, the core principles of what Lego offers. And so uh, we're kind of hard on ourselves in terms of the experiences we, do, we develop, making sure that um, we're not um, copying out, so to speak, on, on the values of, of what Lego can bring in terms of hard fun. In that pride and creation, I think inherently just 
working with Lego and, and at Lego, we, we do have that sense of pride in creation and what we do even sometimes, you know, it, it, sometimes we can get off track and be in, in meeting rooms and, and, you know, not have any bricks around and sometimes think, wait, you know, we need to, <laughs> we need to, to lighten this, this room up a little bit. Let's remember, you know, where we're here, let's make sure we have some bricks in here and, and keep, make sure that, that we do stay close to the, the product and don't get a little off, off track in, in the corporate world. So playing with Lego all day just sounds like the most amazing job ever. And I think that there's probably a lot of people listening to the podcast who are thinking, how do I get a job (laughs) at Lego? Um, So what kind of um, characteristics or or traits do you look for when you're hiring for people at Lego? Yes, I can can speak for myself uh, in terms of what I've looked for. We've playfulness. And, and just being a, a kid at heart, I think it's um, a key thing that we all uh, we we all have and and is is inherent in, in what we do. Uh, being curious, and then in terms of the the hard skills, you know, it's it's we have a lot of design backgrounds. We have a lot of um, we're expanding our, our team to bring in uh, more digital and and, and technology. Um, but I think playful at heart and and having that curiosity is something that is key in in all of our in all of our hires awesome well they're definitely two of my biggest traits just so you know Um, (laughs) no it's been really really amazing having you on the podcast um i'm a massive fan of lego and um it's been a real pleasure to talk to you about more about kind of what you've been doing super thank you so much for having me on it's been um it's been great talking again Okay, so we talked all about your present in the intro, Randy. Where's my present? I'm terrible at this stuff, Lily. I'm still working on presents from my family, too. But I know what anyone still listening could get us. Five stars and a review on their favorite podcasting platform. That would be good. Or um, a donation to the good cause of their choice is not so bad either. Tis the season. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.